0: Well, please take your seat with me, if you would, and turn with me in your copy of the Word of God, or to the bulletin, and we'll read together the Scriptures, beginning from Genesis three, verse one, down to verse nine. This is the Word of God. Please take heed how you hear. Now the serpent was more crafty than any And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Amen. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of God endures forever. Well, it's a great delight to be back again with you this cold um. Wednesday afternoon, it hasn't been hot yet in Colombia. people have been warning me for a long time, it gets hot down here, but it's it's been pleasantly cool and we're enjoying the winter and it's good to see so many of you back again as gluttons for punishment on this cold uh, Wednesday afternoon. Well this morning I want to continue what we began last week, uh, talking about the devil and his wiles. We said last week when you're dealing with an enemy, it's important to know who the enemy is, right? If you're fighting the Houthi rebels in Yemen, it's kind of important to know that behind them, Iran is doing its nefarious work. You've got to identify the enemy. Well, this this morning, sorry, this afternoon now, the clocks have changed. uh, We're dealing with how our enemy works. It's important to understand his strategies, And the devil's strategies have not changed in the past 6,000 years. In fact, he's more skilled at using them now, and he sees no need of changing them because they normally work. When it comes to tempting men and women to sin, the devil has three basic strategies. First of all, he attacks weakness. Then he spreads doubt. And last of all, he sweetens sin. It's the three-step of temptation, and it's the three-step you and I fall for every time we find ourselves wandering away from God into the dirty and grimy paths of the devil. So let's think about that together this morning. First of all, the devil attacks weakness. It is instructive and interesting that the devil starts the conversation with Eve. He bypasses Adam. Now, why do you think he did that? Two reasons, I think. First of all, the devil is a rebel, and he loves to thumb his nose at God's ordained authority structure. Adam is the leader in the garden, and Eve is his helpmate, his vice-regent, his, her, his chief executive officer of everything else. But Adam is the leader, and Eve, or the, the devil bypasses Eve, I think, to insult Adam and also to insult the Lord who made Adam head over all things, right? Um, but there's another reason. The devil loves to attack weakness. And we'll see over the next few minutes, he attacks the weakness of the lady, but he also attacks the weakness of the leader. Let's think of those together quickly. This morning, first of all, he attacks the weakness of the lady. Now, um, I'm standing in risky ground here this morning. Be very clear, ladies. I'm not calling you weak. In the south, the south is filled with steel magnolias. You're anything but weak, right? I'm not calling you weak. I'm not even calling you weaker. But God does, and so. We have to try and figure out what God means by that. You remember in First Peter three verse seven, Peter says, "Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered." Notice God doesn't call women weak. He calls them weaker. He calls them weaker. Now, there are exceptions to every rule, right? There are some women out there who are stronger than me. Take Helga, the shot putter from the Czechoslovakian weightlifting team. Um, She could crush my lifeless fists in her two, or my lifeless body in her two massive fists. She's got biceps the size of a small South American country, right? (laughs) She's unusual, right? Um, But I'm not a shot putter, or a weightlifter. If you put a male shot putter against her, by and large, he'll throw that thing further down the pit than she can, right? Um, there's a wonderful story about Margaret Thatcher when she took her all-meal cabinet out for lunch to Claridge's, which is one of the most prestigious restaurants in London. And so she's sitting there at the table and the waiter comes across, very posh, and she asks, he asks her, would you, would you have the, the beef, madam, or the chicken? And she says, the beef. And then he asks, and for the vegetables? Now she's sitting with her all-meal cabinet. And for the vegetables, ma'am? And she says, they'll have beef too. <laughs> uh, so there are some women who are remarkably strong, Right. But God has designed men and women differently and our culture is denying this left, right and center. And if we don't stop this malarkey, pretty soon there are only going to be two sports. Male sports and men who think they're women sports. (laughs) To be clear... When the Bible calls the woman the the weaker vessel, it's not denying the fact that women are equal to men in many ways. They're equal to men in dignity. Ladies, you're equally the image bearers of God. When you first meet male and female, when you first meet the image of God in Genesis 1, even though God makes man first and woman second, just so you don't confuse the fact when you first meet the image of God, it's as male and female that we meet the image of God in Genesis 1. Men and women equally bear the image of God in their dignity, and they also are equal in their future glory. Peter calls you heirs with us of the grace of life. And it's very important, Peter says, husbands, that you don't despise your wife's weakness because your design, your strength is designed to shepherd her and protect her. And if you do despise her weakness, Paul says, and forget the fact that she is equal in dignity and future glory, God himself will throttle your prayers. Paul, he said that. Did you hear that? When Peter said, um, live with your wife in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered, literally strangled. It's like that scene in Star Wars whenever and uh, Darth Vader says, I find your lack of faith disturbing, Admiral Pate. And he says this. Is <coughs> and that's what happens to your prayers, men, if you, are a, if you are a pugnacious, obnoxious bully around the house, not to be, not to be done. And there are some ways, too, when, that women are stronger than men. Women tend to live longer than us, by about three to four years. Um, women uh, have... a a higher threshold to pain than most men. Uh, They're more flexible in their joints and muscles. They're better at language. Speech defects are much rarer among young girls than they are among young boys. Women have a larger vocabulary. They're much more emotionally sensitive. There's no accident when my kids were younger and they fell in the yard. They ran to mummy, not to me. Even though I worked in pediatric ER, they bypassed me and went straight to mummy. Because they wanted some TLC. Why does the scripture call the ladies the weaker vessel? Well, in one sense, it's because, ladies, you're certainly more vulnerable to physical attack. Men have a stronger bone mass. They have more muscular mass in their body as well. You have ladies about 20% less red blood cells in your blood, and that makes you, that gives you tends to make you have less endurance when it comes to long distance running and cycling and so forth and so on. In the Second World War in Great Britain, uh, when they when many of the ladies were working in the factories. The, to make the war effort work, they pushed the working, hour, the working day from 10 hours to 12 hours. And those extra two hours, the accidents, the, kind of like the, the industrial accidents with ladies getting tired and getting their fingers caught in machines, rose by 150%. Whereas the men working in the factories back then, who weren't at the, at the war effort, they saw no increase of male, um, male injuries, and so that's not to demean you, it's, it's God has designed you, ladies, to be um, the weaker vessel physically, and we shouldn't kick against the Creator's uh, design. I would also say, though, that ladies are more vulnerable to spiritual attack. Now, let me, let me clarify that, okay? Okay. What I'm, what I'm trying to say here is God did not intend you ladies to be the point of the spear when it comes to fighting wars with men on battlefields, but he didn't either intend you to be the point of the spear when it comes to leading the, the attack against the devil. And I think Peter, sorry, Paul hints at that in 1 Timothy 2. Remember when Paul says those words, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Why? For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Paul roots this male leadership in the church principle, not in culture, but in creation. God made men first as a leadership lesson. God, the reason men are to teach and women are to receive instruction in the church is for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. That's interesting, right? That is not, I heard one man say once, we shouldn't give the ladies leadership in church because the last time we did, the fall happened. That's a terrible thing to say. That's not what Paul is saying at all. Listen to Paul's word. The woman was deceived. Adam wasn't deceived. When the the Satan came in, like a flood, Eve was genuinely deceived by him. But Adam knew exactly what was going on. Adam Adam was under no doubt whatsoever. And so, what God is saying here is, God has created men and women as a spiritual team. And they both have significant strengths and they both have significant weaknesses. Even Adam in the garden, you remember, God said about this man. Now remember, he's a perfect man in a perfect place with a perfect relationship with God. And God himself said, there's something not good about him. It's not good for him to be alone. That God has created in men a need for female assistance and companionship and advice. And and such that normally not even God himself will make up for that want. Though some men are are called toward singleness. And yet, while we need our wives, we need their support and their advice and their counsel... They also need our protection men. Ladies, I, was, I spent a good part of yesterday afternoon in the DMV and the court getting my cars registered and my driver's license. And um, we took me through a less and savory area of, of Columbia. I was glad my car didn't break down. If you were driving through that area and your car broke down, would you rather be there by yourself or would you rather be there with your husband? It's a no-brainer. You'd rather be there by, with your husband and hopefully the cool steel of a 1911-45 <laughs> ACP nettling against his, uh, his tactical shelf. And, and in a similar sense, God has designed men to take the lead in spiritual warfare as well, to lead the attack and to organize the defense. So the devil starts with Eve because he's attacking weakness, the weakness of the lady. But he also attacks and exploits the weakness of the leader. Now this is humbling men. Where was Adam when the fall happened? He was right there with him. She took from the fruit and she gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. The fall happened because men were passive. What's that famous quote often referred to Edmund Burke, but actually it's John Stuart Mill, that all that is required for evil to prosper is what? Good men to do nothing. And that's exactly what Adam did. He stood there and did nothing and said nothing while the devil was leading his wife off into the darkness. Adam ought to have picked up a stick and smashed that snake's brains out. But he did nothing. He was a bump on the log. And men, that problem persists to this day. One of the greatest problems in the world and in the church is male passivity. And one of the reasons why our our ladies, by and and large, are better leaders than us is because we don't take leadership until they have to. It's like if you're driving in a bus, in a tour bus through Scotland, and the bus driver gets up while the car is going down the road and goes to the restroom at the back of the bus. What are the women going to do? They're going to jump up and grab the wheel of the bus if the men don't. They're yearning to protect their young, their little ones. They're so strong, they'll not let the bus be driven by no one. And too often the reason why our ladies are so experienced and so gifted in leadership is because as men we are not doing the heavy lifting. And we're leaving them and our families and our churches wide open to spiritual attack when we do. Later God says to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, listen to her and not me says the same thing to Abraham later you listen to the voice of Sarai about the whole Hagar incident nothing to say we shouldn't listen to our wife's counsel my wife is my wisest counselor I never take a big decision without asking my wife's decision, her advice on two occasions I ignored her counsel one was a hire in a previous church and she, she, she saw she sensed intuitively that this hire was bad news but I thought I knew better It bit me in the behind with the savagery of a rabid Rottweiler. I told my wife again, honey, please, please. I said, if ever I ignore your counsel again, get something like a two by four, anything, and beat me about the head until either I lose consciousness or I regain my senses. But the devil attacks weakness. He always has and he always will. Men, we've got to lead in our homes and in this church. And when we do, the good woman God's God's given us here, they'll be happy. Women yearn to be led by men who are tough and tender, warrior shepherds. So he attacks weakness. Secondly, he spreads doubt. He spreads doubt. And he spreads doubt in three different ways. First of all, he says, Doubt the truth of God's word. The first words out of his mouth are what? Has God said? And even here we see um, further evidence of of Adam's failure as a leader. He hadn't taught his wife well. When did God give the instructions about the tree? Before Eve was created. You can check that later. But God gave the covenant of works, we call it, to Eve. Adam, before Eve, was created. And when you listen to Eve quote what God said, she gets it wrong in every way, not because she is mentally deficient, but because Adam hadn't taught her properly. She minimizes God's generosity. When the devil says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. That's not what God said. God literally said, You eating you may eat. It's a, it's a very, very emphatic thing. Eating you may eat of all the trees in the garden. But Eve just said, we may eat. She kind of minimizes the goodness. Then she says, but God said, you shall not eat of the, tree of, of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Now, the tree of life is actually in the middle of the garden. But in her mind... The tree of knowledge of good and evil had had become in the middle of the garden. It, It had become central, the forbidden tree. Nor shall you touch it, she says. God never said don't touch it. He said don't eat from it. And then she says, lest you die. And God didn't say you would die. He said, you will surely die. It's the same emphatic phrase. Dying, you will die. Interestingly, the devil... Quotes God correctly, but the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Dying you will not die. And I see that as evidence that Adam had failed as a teacher. He hadn't, he hadn't been careful to teach his wife the law of God, and so she wasn't able to quote it back and had added extra prohibitions to it. And that was from Adam, not from her. The devil loves to attack the church. There's no accident. We value females in our church. We love our ladies. They serve us tremendously well in our diaconate, and we would be the poorer without them. And at many, many other areas, they exercise effective um, work here at First Presbyterian Church. But God says, I suffer not a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. If you can change that phrase and have it say, I suffer a woman to teach, just a tiny phrase, it it should not surprise you when a church changes the Bible anywhere, they will quickly soon begin to change the Bible everywhere, which is why churches that begin to ordain ladies as pastors and elders very quickly will start ordaining receiving homosexuals, practicing homosexuals as members, and then ordaining them as deacons and elders and pastors. And the, the whole thing will unravel. Has God said the devil fights truth and nail to undermine and to spread doubt about the reality of, and truth of God's word? Secondly, he spreads doubt about the reality of God's judgment The reality of God's judgment, the devil says, you will not surely die. And the devil will come in and he loves to make us think, even as Christians, that we can play with sin and there are not consequences. Paul says, if you, Romans, if you, Christians, live according to the flesh... You'll not live your best life. No, you know, you'll have some problems and difficulties. Is that what your Bible says? No, if you live according to the flesh, Paul says, you will die. Galatians 6, be not deceived. Why does Paul say be not deceived? Because most people are. God is not mocked. whatsoever a man sows, that he will reap. There is a reaping and sowing logic to life that not even the gospel unravels. He's speaking to Christians. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that he will reap. If we sow to the flesh, we will from the flesh reap corruption. But if we sow to the Spirit, we will from the Spirit reap everlasting life. When Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that a man might, should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess your own vessel, your own body, in sanctification and honor, not in the lustful passion of the Gentiles who don't know God. And Paul then goes on, you remember how he says, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. But no one rob a brother or sister of their sexual purity is the context. Why? For the Lord is the avenger in all these things as we solemnly warned you before. But the devil will come in and he'll say, it's okay, you know. You can play with sin. It's safe and simple. Doubt the truth of God's word. Doubt the reality of God's judgment. And then thirdly, Doubt the goodness of God's heart. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's he saying there? He says, he's saying really that God isn't to be trusted. That God isn't out for your best interests. That God wants to hold you down. If you really want to be like God, you've got to be like God and do whatever you want. And the tragedy was the moment they ate, they didn't become like God in any meaningful sense. They just simply knew that they were naked and were filled with shame. So he attacks weakness, the weakness of the lady, the weakness of the leader. He spreads doubt, doubt the truth of God's word, the reality of God's judgment and the goodness of God's heart. And then the third thing is, quickly, he sweetens sin. He sweetens sin. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, at that moment, the universe changed color. The, the tree that God said was bad for food, Eve suddenly saw it as good for food. It's like, is it, I think it's Milton's Paradise Lost not Dante's inferno I think it's Milton's paradise lost the devil falls and he describes the devil's fall as the devil says evil be thy my good that's a genius move that as human beings we are created to pursue goodness To to see good things, to love good things, and to take good things. And not even the devil can choose evil as evil. He has to choose evil by making it his goodness. And then he pursues it as goodness. And every single time you or I fall prey of temptation, it's always because sin holds out some promise of goodness with us, to us. If we think it will satisfy us. It'll fulfill us. It'll, it'll make our lives better. And that pattern repeats again. Remember when Achan fell? I've no time to look at it in detail. But in Joshua 7, when he confesses, what does he say? He uses the same words. Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak, from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them. Same language in Genesis 5 or Genesis uh, 3. When the woman saw that it was a delight to the eyes and that it was to be desired or coveted to make one wise, she took of its fruit and its ate. And that's the threefold step. We see evil as good, we desire it as good, and then we take it as good. Which is why, my brothers and sisters, you and I have got to be in God's word. We've got to be, not what do I think of this, not will this be satisfying, will this give me a moment of pleasure, like Diet Coke, you drink it, it tastes wonderful, but there's always that kind of bitter, it doesn't quite taste sugary, that bitter aftertaste. Not is it going to bring me a bit of happiness right now, but you've got got to, in the moment of temptation, you've got to look to Christ and say, Lord, teach me, not what do I feel. What do you say, Lord Jesus? Help me to see things correctly. Help me to have my mind filled with your truth about what is good and what is evil. Help me not to define those on my terms. Which is... Essentially, that's essentially the thing, isn't it? Later in the passage, God says, they have become like us, knowing good and evil. What did God mean? He means they have become like us, the one who, who take it upon themselves to say, I know what is good and I know what is evil. And Adam should have made that decision not by thinking for himself, but by listening to his God. And the same is true for us. And so my brothers and sisters, and we need to go. We need, when you come to doing battle with the devil, and we do battle with the devil or his minions every day, there's nothing more important than truth. And getting your head on straight, we win the battle in our minds. And if you want to live a way you've never lived before, you've got to come to think a way you've never thought before by learning to think derivatively, by rooting and grounding your thinking in God and his word and in God and his son who has said to you, I am the way and the truth and the life. That's the beautiful thing about Jesus. There's a friend of mine, the bank manager back in Northern Ireland He has a sign on his wall that says, you might not like what I have to say, but I promise you, when you leave, you'll not be confused. (laughs) Well, Jesus says, you might not always like what I have to say. If you listen to me, I promise you, when you leave, you'll not be confused and you'll not be deceived. I'll never lie to you. I'll never pull the wool over your eyes. I'll only and always give you truth. Because I only and always want to give you life. So my brothers and sisters, where is the devil tempting you to believe the lie this morning? And Jesus is calling out to you. Come back to me and listen to me. Let me define who you are and what you are. Don't define truth by how do you feel. Define truth by what do I say. And that's the beginning, the middle, and the end of our war with the devil. May God bless you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray for these dear brothers and sisters gathered here this morning. I pray for the ladies in particular, that you will steady their hearts. They'll not hear any disrespect from me when I call them the weaker vessel, because I'm not the one calling them the weaker vessel. Help them, O Lord, help men to organize our thinking about everything from your word, O God, and to have the spirit of Samuel to say, speak, Lord, for thy servant listens. And help us to resist the devil, that he might flee from us. It's a wonderful promise. Help us to submit to you and to draw near to you in the sure and confident hope that you will draw near to us. And grant that your word will dwell richly in our hearts this day that we might be able to stand strong in the evil day against the wiles of the devil by listening to the wisdom and the kindness of our Savior who loved us so much that he died in our place for our sins to bring us back on the path of life and and the path of truth through time and forever. We offer these prayers in Christ's name. Amen.